Hello and welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in 2024. And we are back talking with Carmen Graves, episode two the Carmen Graves experience. If you haven't heard episode one, go back in here. It was a couple weeks ago. Carmen, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I thought you'd kick me off after the first episode. It was close. I was going to say that was people really loved that episode. In fact, it was funny. Uh, I had a couple people reach out and they're like, Oh, I wish you had like gone longer and talked on certain topics. It was because we had, there were topics that we wanted to get to, but we went over an hour and like, there were such meaty topics. We're like, if we talk about these, this would take it like an extra half hour at least. We can't just like glaze over these topics. So we're going to touch on one of them in a little bit, but uh, yeah, that one went over really well and no surprise. So I'm excited to talk again. Last time we talked, Obviously, with all the intro episodes, we take a deep dive into someone's past, but we also talked about your Houston Half Marathon experience in that episode. So, coming off of that, you've now, and you, you told us in the episode that you're going to run Gate River, uh, which is the 15K USATF National Championship, a, a race that is always really hotly contested and for good reason. Um, can you just walk us through? the kind of the decision matrix you were working with on like why that race versus other races and things like that? Yeah. Um, like I said, Houston half didn't really go as planned. I had a, a little hamstring tweak and so I wasn't happy with it. Um, I didn't get to race at my full potential. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to do another race. I was kind of bouncing between the Woodlands half marathon um, and uh, Gate River and they're on the same weekend. Um, so I decided to just do the 15K uh, for a couple reasons. Um, it was a U.S. championship, which is always fun. Um, definitely more competitive. Um, and then it's also just like that off distance. I didn't have to worry about the half and um, trying to get like a qualifying time. I just wanted to go out and just race. Yeah, and the the field of these this race, Gate River, is always so strong for for so many reasons, right? Because you have some people who, you know, I would assume like, all right, like the folks who are training for a spring marathon, it's like this is a great distance for it. It's also far enough away where they're going to be able to recover for, say, Boston or something like that. And in addition, some people who aren't even running the marathon, it could also fit into their 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 situation, right? You have someone like yourself where like even if someone's, say, preparing for outdoor track, if they're, you know, doing something beyond middle distance, I would assume, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, that like, while 15K isn't sure, it also isn't wildly different than some of the training you would have already been doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, it kind of falls within that like middle ground, right? So you see a lot of different types of runners. You see marathons going down. So for them, it's a little bit shorter. Um, half marathoners, it's like right about at that distance. And for me, it felt super, super long, um, which definitely was a challenge during the race in the middle of the race. I had to like talk myself, um, give myself good vibes and um, just, you know, um, try to get through it the best way I could because the distance kind of felt overwhelming at times. But yeah, you got so many different types of runners. Um, I, I felt good about how I stepped up to some of those long distance runners and marathoners. Um, I felt like the people who beat me, um, are really great runners. And so I felt proud in how I finished. Yeah. So when you were going into the race, what were you looking at in terms of your goals for the race and just how you 
approach race day like with the other factors, right? So you might have a goal, but things like weather considerations, like who else is in the race, how you're going to do pacing, things like that, um, just from a, a planning perspective. Yeah, I mean, I did actually look uh, once they posted uh, the runners that were competing. I did look at some of their times and. I felt like if I had a good day, I could get top 10. So that was the goal. It was, there's a lot of runners that are around my ability. So if I beat all of them, (laughs) then I would get top 10. Um, So um, that was kind of like my mindset going in. I knew that I had to have a good day to get top 10 because there are great runners out there. Um, It was a little bit humid. during the race day, it was hotter than usual from past races. And it definitely showed in the results. Um, For example, Emily Sisson ran like almost like a minute slower than she did the previous year. Um, And a lot of people who had run the Get River Run uh, prior also talked about how it was definitely slow this year um, and primarily because of the heat. So as you're going into the race, cognizant of the heat and understanding like, all right, this is going to potentially affect me. And it's a race I haven't run that much. How did you approach like what pacing a, you know, a 9.4 mile race even felt like or what, how you should determine what that would mean for you, especially yeah. early in the race? Yeah, yeah. Um, so honestly, I didn't really notice the humidity at all. I know it did affect me, but that wasn't something that I was thinking about during the race. I... I knew I could run somewhere between 5.30 and 5.45s just like based on my workout. So um, I felt like if I just went out and raced, then uh, found a pack of ladies, then I, would, I wouldn't have to worry about time. I just go out and race. Um, I didn't look at my pace per mile at all during the whole entire race. I just looked at my distance um, just because I was like, okay, Am I, am I like halfway through? Am I three quarters way through? Like how much do I have left? Um, when can I start going? Do I feel good? Just kind of evaluating um, how I felt inside. Um, but yeah, I didn't uh, look at my watch at all. I didn't know what pace I was going throughout the whole race. Um, but like the whole goal was just to get out there and compete. And I think that's where I find that I run my best is just like when I forget about pacing and I just go and compete against um, a group of ladies. Right. So, you know, for, for, for this distance, for your fitness level, I'm assuming this is like basically almost exactly what threshold pace would be. Like if you're going to like put that, like put like a moniker on like what kind of pace this feels like. So when you're running at that level, once you're warmed up and you kind of get it going, how do you, like, how do you describe that in terms of like your breathing and your leg turnover? Like what, what does that feel like for you? It's so different than um, previous races because it is that weird feeling of like, this is really uncomfortable, but I know I can keep going at this pace. So it's like just playing mind games with yourself. It's just, Usually when I feel that type of like feeling of like, oh, this is uncomfortable, that's when I start changing energy systems from like aerobic to anaerobic and I start going, right? And and then it's not like three or four miles later where I'm just still like, this is uncomfortable, I but I can't kick yet. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a weird feeling, um, but I don't know. We tapped into some of the workouts felt like that. Um, so I felt like I was prepared for that feeling um, during the race. So I just kept going back to like some of my previous workouts that um, I was like 
this is uncomfortable, but you can keep going. <laughs> and when you say uncomfortable, would you mind explaining that a little bit more? Like, is this like a breathing perspective? Is it like the, the, the turnover you're pushing at a, at a certain pace? Like what, what describe that for me a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling for me. Um, cause I, I can talk, like I can say a few words at once. Um, which is weird. Um, and then it's just like more of like long run burn where it's at the end of a long run and like your legs and your glutes burn, like your legs don't really want to go because it, it's like, I don't know, it's just uncomfortable, but like your legs don't want to go, but your lungs are fine. Um, that's how I felt at least. And I didn't really know when to start kicking um, when to like kind of push that next level. So I think next time if I do run this, instead of just like just trying to get to the hill, um, because the hill is called the Green Monster. It's like about three quarters mile um, at mile eight of uh, the 9.3 mile race. Um, I was just trying to like get to the hill, get to the hill, get to the hill because I was just so anxious about it. Um, so I definitely played it safe, but I think this time I would start pushing probably like three or four miles out. Interesting. Now you described it as like that long run burn type feel when you're yeah. in a similar position of like that threshold of comfortable versus uncomfortable feeling in say the steeple. How would you compare the differences there in terms of the uncomfortability in terms of like how it feels in your body? Oh, that's a good question. Cause it feels similar, right? but it's the steeple is just condensed. Like everything's just faster. And I feel like that's for most races, that's how it is. It's like for a 15, you like feel good and then it starts to hurt. And then you have to be like, do I want to drop off or do I want to keep going? It's like, you just have to like play that mind game and then it's time to kick and go. Um, so it's just like kind of condensed. And this one's like just more mentally um, harder because it's a longer portion where you're, you have to play mind games and you feel that pain. But I, I feel like it, it was similar to the steeple thought wise, because you have to keep a little bit left for that, those last water jumps where you can't, you really can't go all out because you will definitely fall if, if you go too hard too soon. So you do have to save a little bit for the jumps and the water jumps. So that's kind of similar to what I did for this hill. Um, and then you start learning, okay, I can push now. I felt this burn before, and I know I can still jump over this water jump. And um, I think I will start feeling, um, learning a little bit more of like when I can start pushing in these longer races. I want to get to the training um, in a little bit. I'm like, in my head, I'm like vacillating back and forth. Do I talk about the training right now or do we talk about like the race tactics right now? Yeah, so totally. we'll, we'll save the training a little bit because you mentioned like you referenced, you know, the, going back to your training a couple of times during the race to make sure that like you felt good and you felt confident. Um, with that said, this race was, I want to say unique, but it was interesting that like even within the top 10, you had such like a tight knit group running for so long together for such a long race. Oftentimes these things kind of get spread out. You see like a mile race will get spread out. Never mind mm -hmm. like a 9.3 mile race. So talk to me about how that formed and just how you were able to like work with, work with that, that group that we saw like in some of the pictures people who were watching on flow track, just the, the group dynamic and how you felt within it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I knew I didn't want to go out with, 
the the first group. They went out pretty fast, and I just didn't feel comfortable going out with them. Um, and Emily Sisson was in her own race, so she doesn't count. <laughs> um, so I was kind of in like the chase chase pack, right? Um, the first mile, um, everybody was kind of going back and forth. And I think once we got to the bridge, it was about like five or six of us who were basically just working together at that point. Um, I felt comfortable with the pace that it was going. It didn't feel out of my comfort zone. Um, it didn't feel too slow, too fast, and everybody's working. And I knew that, um, basically I was just keeping an eye on the 10th runner. I knew that, uh, the 10th runner was in our group because <laughs> I counted once the, the start went off, I was counted immediately just to make sure I knew where I was because top 10 was my goal. And I knew that whoever got out of this group, whoever could last the longest would most likely be the 10th runner. So I thought it was very comfortable um, in that group. And we did work together the first four miles. And then it started, people started dropping back. Um, it was interesting because a person would always drop back once there was a mile um, split. It was like almost like they looked at their watch and they're like, ooh, that's too fast, if that makes sense. Oh, It interesting. was very interesting. I noticed that. It was like three miles, four miles, five miles. It started like spreading out quite a bit. So I just didn't look. I was like, I don't want to look. I don't want to know. We could be running really slow or really fast, but either way, it's going to get in my head. Now, you mentioned that you had the mile, like the mileage on your watch. Obviously, every watch is different. Was there like, like I look at my watch right now. Like if I have the mileage setting also, like you can set up. So like on the underneath, it has just running time all the time, which is yeah. also like you can do like, do some pretty quick math and you've been running your whole life. Like, like you're like, you can probably do the math splits really quickly in your head just from like an average perspective, right? You're like mile four. You're like, oh, we're at, you know, whatever, like 22 miles. I mean, 22 minutes, like, oh, 530 mile pace. Like, here we go. Right. <laughs> so like, were you, did you have that going on? Or were you just strictly only miles on the, on the watch? Yeah. So, um, I have a, a Wahoo watch and, um, there's different settings, like you said, but um, the one setting I like is um, where the distance is really big, like, uh, or not the, yeah, the distance is really big. The split time is small. So it's like, I have to like, really, I have to like have an intention to like, look what my splits are. Um, but I really just looked down. I knew exactly where to look. And then there are also mile markers, which were about where my watch was. Um, so I went between that. It was mostly, I just wanted to know, um, when I was halfway and then when the hill was about to approach. So as people were dropping off and you were aware of like, all right, where am I in the field? And I want to be in the top 10. Were you ever tempted once you saw like, maybe like number 10 or number nine drop off? Or I don't know if that's exactly how it worked in the math, but like, were you ever tempted to like maybe drop with them, kind of being like, okay, if I stay with them, stay ahead of them, like I'm good to go? Or were you just like, at a certain point, were you kind of agnostic on place and just kind of running your own race? Or were you always like, no, the goal is top 10, I'm, I'm racing other people here? Um, yeah, it was kind of back and forth, right? Um, so there was about like mile five, mile six, where it did start getting hard. Um, and I was like around ninth place. Um, Erica Kemp was about 50 meters in front of me. I had worked my way up um, from mile four to mile five. And I was like, okay, this is where it's starting to get hard. This is when like the doubt started happening. I was like, I'm in, I'm in 10th place. She's in ninth. 
the other ladies are decently behind me. I'm just going to relax now. And I did do that. And I think that it, in overall, it helped me be able to finish strong. And was it different, like having like Erica Kemp be the one up front of you, like someone who's had such great success, like even at that race specifically and like in, in a lot of the races that you're running and someone who's like a really well-known person in the sport to be like, all right, like it's not just another person ahead of me who slightly has like it's Erica Kemp. Like if I kind of keep close to her, like that's going to be a good sign. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my mindset was, right? Like I did know of Erica Kemp. She's a great distance runner. Um, didn't, has- she win? didn't she win Gate River last year? She's won it in the last few years. I don't know. I think she's definitely done really well. Um, I'm not exactly sure. She won. Either yeah. it was either the New Haven 20K or the Gate River. Now, I should have done the prep. God darn it. I should have figured that out ahead of time. I was like focusing on other things, and, and we'll talk about those other things in a second. But um, all right, my, my bad. No, it's all good. Um, but yeah, it was definitely exactly what I mean. You, like, I know. I know who people are now. I know it's hard not to compare yourself to other distance runners and especially her being one of the only African-American distance runners um, out there. So that's another comparison that I always like to make. Um, So it was cool that she was just in front of me. I had someone to work off. Um, I actually caught her and then she surged. And that's when I was like, oh shit, like maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm just going to let her go. I'm just going to let her go. I'm going to keep her here. And then before the hill, I caught her and then she never got back to me. But yeah, it's definitely like mentally, I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to beat her. And you know, everybody has bad days, but it was still like nice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you look at the top 10 names, like sometimes you go to USATF race and they're less august than others right mm-hmm. like an example of this is like the usatf half marathon always seems to be like at a random time they announce it like 36 hours before the race yeah. like it's always like a weird group of people who ends up going out weird like they're not weird but it's like like <laughs> so it's like it, the, the compilation of people you're like how did this even come yeah, together you know exactly. it almost feels like a pickup race in a way whereas gate river is a little different like i look at the top 10 and like, and this is my business, but at the same time, like, I know all of these people. Like, I know yeah. all of them really well. I've been following them for years. Like, Erica Kemp's a great example of this. Like, I've watched Erica Kemp race a bunch of times. I've watched her race in person, in fact, here in New England. And it's like, I know all these people. So seeing you in that group is, like, so interesting because it's like, this is a departure from some yeah. of the stuff that you've done in the past. But also, like, you performed really well coming off a race that didn't go great, again, because of hamstring issues. But at the same time, like, talk to me about once the dust has settled. And you're able to kind of look back sober minded at, at the race, at your effort and the people within it, like how, how you analyze your performance and what that means for you going forward. Yeah. It, it's, it's so funny because it is weird seeing my name with all those other ladies names. Right. It's just like, I've definitely seen them compete in different races and whenever they compete, especially like a few years ago, I was like, Oh my gosh, they're so fast. How are they running? Like, 530s like for that long and it's like now I'm in that group so it kind of feels surreal um and it's it's pretty cool because I know I can do better so it's like it gave me um you know just like a surreal feeling of like okay I'm finally like a long distance runner and then also just like inspiring like myself and keeps the motivation going quite a bit because I know I can do better and what was the reaction from, so your husband, I think your husband also ran the race, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he, was, he, he ran, yeah. he's your coach. And then also your good friend, is it, is it Lanny Merchant? Is that how you say it? Lanny Marchant. 
Marshawn, who again, so these people who were also well versed in the in in this area, like Lainey, she's like she's an unbelievable runner as well. What was the reaction from like your you know your close friends and confidants about about this performance, and maybe you know the, you know people the people that you lean on in terms of like the reactions from that group? Yeah, I mean, Lainey, um, she always just says, "Make your legs go fast before the race." So I know it's coming. <laughs> so I was, I just wanted to make her proud and make my legs go fast. But after the fact, she was pretty pumped for me. She's like, "You did awesome! Like that's so cool that you finished top ten. She was very supportive. Um, so that was nice, like hearing that from her. My husband, um, we were basically going back back and forth all week kind of talking shit to each other because it's like a chaser race and like he was um racing too and um ladies start five minutes ahead so he's like i'm gonna catch you i'm like i will die to get to that finish line before (laughs) you catch me so we were just talking a bunch of shit um uh so it was kind of funny because like i got to finish line first so i was like i beat you oh So did, did that ever come again? Talk about all the things that don't matter, but also matter a lot. Yeah. Right? The, the bragging race game. Uh, it's funny how that can play a part. Did that ever jump into your mind as you were racing at all? Yeah. Well, actually, because there are a lot of guys that were passing me. And I think it's mostly because it used to be six minutes that they gave us, but then they shortened it to five minutes this year. Um, so I was being passed by a lot of guys and I was like, I don't know if I'm running bad or not, you know, the, the video of point. the video of Hillary Bohr who won it passing <laughs> you. I felt so bad. I'm like, this video doesn't do Carmen justice. It makes it look like she's like easy running trotting it because Hillary's just so darn fast. He looked so smooth. It was so funny. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. I had to, I had to post that on my story just because Hillary's so funny. Um, he's so humble. So it was like funny just to like talk him up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was like, there's a lot of guys passing me. Ian Butler passed me up, up the hill. And I was just like, damn it, Ian. Almost got him. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, shoot. I think, like, I have to go because my husband might be, like, on my ass right now. Um, so I was very happy when I crossed the line. And he wasn't there. What would you say? Hillary was also a ste- is also a steepler, right? Yeah, he's, he's definitely um, been crushing in the long distance. He ran um, – didn't he run – Club or not club cross, but cross country champs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did really well there. Yeah, yeah, he did. I'm trying. I like. I can. I can envision the top three in my head. Like I'm picturing the photo, and I'm like, oh, it's like everyone but their face. Like I could. I could picture like the singlets, and it's like, oh, who was in that? I think Leonard Career was also top three. Yeah. In that in that cross country championship, and I'm trying to remember the third person. But anyway, um, well, that's all. This is really exciting. Obviously, you ran really well. You look at the people who also finished top ten. They're all going to be at the trials, right? I mean, that's that. They, you know, if they want to be, I think they're all pretty much in that group. If they haven't already qualified, I think you know there are experienced. A lot of them are experienced marathoners who like should have no problem qualifying, like the Sydney Devores of the world and things like that. I think she already has qualified. People who've run those times before, um, so it really is it kind of sets you up nicely. With that said, let's talk about you know, what, what your calendar looks like in, uh, the near future, uh, before we get into the topic that you had Instagram post about, uh, very recently. Yeah. Um, schedule wise, um, I'm going to be like hopping back on the track soon. I, I've taken the last three days off. I'm super sore. (laughs) I think it's from that last mile downhill, just like, like crushing my quads. But yeah, I'm taking um, a little bit of time off and then I'm getting back into things uh, next week. 
Um, I'm thinking between um, pin relays and Drake to open up in the steeplechase. Um, and then I'm still trying to figure that out, like what my schedule is going to look at like. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping just to like uh, at least get a 5K and a 15 um, in there um, in the mix uh, just to, you know, hopefully lower my PR. Um, I'm excited to run the 5K after um, a really great uh, fall and winter of, uh, you know, strength work. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was a week ago, maybe a little more than a week ago, you had a post about um, how basically 3% of American uh, women distance runners are African-American. And you kind of talked about this and, and the you, you, you had a really um, thoughtful and interesting post on this. Um, how long has that topic been on your mind? Yeah, it's been on my mind, I think, the last year. I think it's it's been... Um... It's been interesting, right, seeing some of my friends um, do the marathon. Um, like Rolanda Bell, she was doing the steeple, and then she also um, did the marathon. She broke three hours. Um, uh, Dira, she was a D3 runner. She's broken three hours, too. And it's it's cool seeing their story. I'm mean, also following, like, uh, a lot of different um, black running groups in, um, you know, all over like Instagram and seeing like how, like just noticing that like there is an effort to build a community around uh, black runners. Um, so yeah, I think I've always like kind of felt out of place in the distance running realm of things, being a black um, runner um, ever since, you know, high school living in Southwest Virginia. I was one of the only black people in my school. Um, and everybody who were, who was black uh, were sprinters on the track team, right? So I sprinted, that's what I thought I was good at because everyone who looked like me sprinted. Um, so, I mean, they didn't really make black Barbies when I was, um, you know, a girl. So, um, you know, Allison Felix was my was my role model. She was the one, she's my idol that I looked up to. So definitely um, always looked up to her. She looked like me. So I wanted to do the 200 and 400. Whereas like, there wasn't anybody at her level um, running long distance who I could um, kind of look up to and compare myself to. So I think it's always been there, right? Um, and it followed me through, um, college. I felt out of place in the 800. There wasn't a lot of black women who ran the 800 at the D3 level. Um, mm -hmm. and then, um, just like trying to slowly like morph my identity to like becoming a long distance runner, um, was interesting, like a very interesting process. Um, cause I did feel out of place, you know, lining up in five K's and road races where, most times I would be the only black runner and I wouldn't look like everyone else. I wasn't skinny. Um, I wasn't white. So it was hard for me to feel like I was, um, I was a part of that group. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's, it's always been like in the back of my mind where it's like, I've gone through a lot of different, um, work on myself and just being able to tell myself that I belong. Um, and it doesn't matter how I look and 
I want to be that role model for others. Um, so I think just looking into um, the marathon trials, trying to get there, I think it became really evident um, that there aren't a lot of black women who run the marathon. So I thought that that would be another really great goal is to break three in the marathon. Yeah. Would you mind talking about just the juxtaposition of like, when you look at some of these marathons, you know, the, certainly the propensity for East African runners to be doing very, very well in marathons all across the world, but at the same time, the dearth of African-American runners, uh, especially African-American women runners at the same time doing that. And just like the dichotomy there of like having both of those exist at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I think some people just see, um, darker skin as darker skin, but there's definitely a cultural difference between African-American, black um, American runners and those who come and are born in Africa and um, come to the U.S. Uh, Mostly cultural reasons, um, generations and generations of um, African Africans have grew up in running cultures. The cultures look different, right? Um, They walk to school. They um, have people um, running groups in Kenya, there's just hundreds and hundreds of people getting up at the same time running. Kids see that. It's, it's passed down from generation to generation. And that's their way that they can, you know, make a, make a name for themselves is coming to America and running and um, doing really well. Um, so I think it's different, right? Um, they, they didn't have to, their ancestors didn't have to go through um, slavery. They didn't have to um, go through um, all of the cultural, um, just the barriers um, to run. Um, for example, if if you're, you know, a black family living in the city, it's not safe in the 70s and 60s and 50s to just go out in general, but to go out for a run. You don't feel safe. Um, you stay in. Um, there's it's not just the police, but it's also gang and violence in the cities. And, you know, after the emancipation proclamation, a lot of Africans did migrate to the cities. And um, it's just not a part of African-American culture to feel comfortable going out for a run, um, whether it's in the cities or in the South. You don't go on trail runs. You might, you know, you might get, um, you know, it's just not safe. So it's just looking at like the deeper cultural aspects. It's totally different between African-American runners and their um, transition into the running world as opposed to East Africans. So it was clear that when you wrote that post that you wanted to be part of this change to kind of boost this up so that, you know, someone who's going to be 30, you know, the next generation of 30 year olds or even two generations after that, you know, they're maybe not having, not experiencing that same, like, Hey, only 3% of U S distance runners are, um, black female. So when you think about like, all right, you, you notice this change, you notice this inequity or this percentage of the group that should be, shouldn't be that low. Mm -hmm. And you see, as you mentioned, like you're fully aware of like, Hey, you follow these groups and you're seeing what's going on and you're hoping to kind of, you know, see, see more of this. Um, not that like you need to like lead the change or be the change in any sense, but when you see like, Hey, like I want this to improve, I want Mm -hmm. this just generally to, to, to be boosted up. What are some of the things that like 
you would, you know, you identify as, hey, like this would be great if this happened, or I want to be part of this or that, or and, you know, just just in, in an effort to, um, not not that this falls on you. This is a really poorly worded question in all in all sense, <laughs> but basically, like this this isn't great. We want to boost this up, but when you look at it personally, is there a certain thing that you want to um, be part of this in a certain way? Yeah, I think I've seen I've seen a lot of change. It's mostly just letting people realize why breaking three minutes or three hours for these women is so important. It's more of just like making it aware. This is really, really special um, because of all the barriers that they've had to go through. I think we've definitely seen a shift in the culture already. It's very positive. We've been seeing um, a lot more black runners. We've been seeing just black runners of all sizes on social media and a lot of running shoes companies and uh, running brands are, are showing more women um, and black men running um, as they are um, in their own cities and wherever they are. And we're seeing more of um, a representation of black runners. And I think that's really special. Yeah. And just from a, from a representation perspective, I'd love to hear this, uh, just not, not only just in terms of the topic we're talking about right now, but just as like an elite versus non-elite athlete perspective. Um, like you have someone like there's plenty of like, put it this way, like on the rambling runner podcast, right? So that's the, my other podcast I have. We talk about amateur runners all the time and there's mm-hmm. certain amateur runners who, you know, who have become beacons for other runners to get into running. Right. You have someone like a good example of this would be like Myrna Valerio. Right. Mm-hmm. Myrna, Myrna Valerio is not winning any races, but she is someone who has inspired a lot of people to get into running. Right. A lot of people of ver- a variety of different, you know, you know, backgrounds or ethnicities or just athletic perspectives. Right. So people like that, you know, I have a good friend, Tommy Runs, right, who's who's in Detroit, who does like amazing things. And again, he's, yeah. an, he's an excellent runner, but he's not going to like, he's not qualifying for the Olympic Games or anything like that. But someone who like has brought people forward and, and even other people, right? It doesn't doesn't have to be, um, you know, people, people coming from a certain um, racial or ethnic background, but non-elite athletes can inspire amateur runners to be part of the, you know, the running scene, right? And I think that there's like this, this, potential gap between elite runners who inspire versus non-elite runners who can inspire. So when you think about that, how do you view that in terms of um, representation, broadly speaking, media-based and things like that? Like, do you, do you see this uh, potential like gaps in terms of like maybe elites being represented versus like non-elites or things like that? Because I, I look at that as, Hey, there's so many amateur runners who mm-hmm just aren't aware of professional running, right? It's like such a unique sport. Like there's no, I always make this, this comparison. Like there's no like men's or women's like adult league basketball players who aren't very familiar with the professionals, yeah. but there's plenty of like, like 90% of amateur runners that you're like, aren't really that aware of professional runners. So I always wonder like from an influence perspective, if like high level amateur runners can have almost a similar impact as professional runners, just in terms of a representation perspective. I totally believe so. I think with social media these days, it's it's easy to um, get your message out to a lot of people, especially if it's something that resonates with them. Um, I think that you don't have to be elite um, to 
to make an impact on um, people and tell your story. Uh, I think, honestly, it's actually like, no, like you said, like a lot of people don't really know elites. It's not um, like you can run, you can run a marathon and have no idea. You could have been at the 15K champs and had no idea who Emily Sisson is, you know, and I'm thinking. And that's so crazy. Like you would never see that in other sports. It's such an odd dichotomy. It is. And I think in that sense, it's like, I think it helps having representation and sponsored athletes that are of all diversities. I think that helps, but I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's uh, like a game changer at this point. And the other thing that piqued my interest in that post was, you know, the focus on the marathon, right? Because that's something that we have talked about, like in the last episode, you're like, if my first marathon will hopefully be the Olympic trials. When you reflect on that, does that shift your perspective of maybe maybe being more open-minded to entering that world? Yeah, I, I'm very open-minded, right? Like I'm not a person that's super stubborn. Um, so I think there's always room for changing up the plan. Right. Um, so, (laughs) you know, like I do want to try the way I want to do it, but I'm not going to be like, no, I said, I'm going to do this. So uh, I'm not going to run the marathon. It's like, it's almost more intriguing to like, see how I do in the marathon. Um, so yeah, it's always, it's always changing. And I think it's, I'm going to keep that option open of doing the marathon. I love that. You're like, I want to do it the way I want to do it, but the way I want to do it might change. So (laughs) the plans can always shift. Exactly. (laughs) I'd love that. Carmen, thank you so much for coming on the show, for expressing how you feel about uh, very important topics and bearing with me as I stumbled through some questions to get there. (laughs) So (laughs) I really appreciate it. Uh, Oftentimes I like have this idea of what I want to say, and then I just kind of stumble through it. And then especially if it's a topic that really matters, I'm like, all right, don't say anything stupid. So uh, I appreciate you letting me finish some of these questions as it took me like longer to ask the question than actually for you to answer the question. So I appreciate your patience with me. You're amazing. You're great. Thank you so much for coming on the show and good luck at Penn and Drake. Thank you. Appreciate it.